2: welcome to the show i'm pastor ron arbaugh from calvary Chapel in san antonio texas and this is the word to stand up for life we were a couple seconds late because my producer was completely oblivious to the time but we're here to take your phone calls and answer questions questions on the bible questions about stuff going on in your life church questions anything and everything All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. If you are emailing your questions, you can email questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else you, you, uh, will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, since it's Tuesday and there's nothing to talk about, let me get right to questions while we await your phone calls. Jennifer says, In Revelation chapter 7, seven, hundred forty-four thousand are sealed. Who are they? And does it mean that they are the only faithful ones at the time? No, Jennifer, who they are is, is, is crystal clear. There are 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, um, God will have no problem finding out who's who, but these are 12,000 from 12 tribes or 144,000 witnesses who are going to be sent out into the world with the power to do some miraculous things, with the power uh, to to be unharmed in the Great Tribulation. Uh, and they're going to be basically Jewish celibates, Jewish celibates who, who are focused on one thing and one thing alone, and that's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, Jennifer, they're, they're, they're Jews. It doesn't mean they're the only faithful ones at the time. It means they are the ones that have been chosen by God to do this work. They will lead, uh, sort of spearheaded by the two witnesses at the Western Wall in Jerusalem for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, uh, they will spearhead the greatest revival by far in the history of the world. Uh, those who are left behind after the rapture of the church are going to be here. They're going to be forced to take the mark of the beast. Uh, life is going to be really, really hard, tragic um, from from time you get up to the time you go to bed every day, um, and many of them are going to get saved. Many more will be condemned eternally, but many of them are going to be saved. I always like to say, Jennifer, imagine um, 144,000 new improved versions of the Apostle Paul. And that's who they're going to be. And when I say new and improved version, I mean uh, the Apostle Paul was beaten and and uh, actually stoned to death on one occasion. He was beaten uh, with, with the scourge. Um, he had a very tough life. These 144,000 witnesses will not be uh, able to be harmed. God's got them sealed, they are protected, and uh, their only focus is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead in the last days. Rudy asked the question, Pastor Ron, is Satan the only source of temptation? Not by a long shot, Rudy. Um, uh, certainly Satan is, is an expert tempter. And he knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly how to tempt us. He's, I said in a response to a question yesterday, uh, he's the greatest psychologist in the history of our world, um, a student of human behavior. He knows everything about us. Um, however, uh, he's only one source of temptation. Um, we are tempted by, our, by the world that we live in. We're tempted by friends. We're tempted by things that we watch, things that we read. Um, But I think, really, the greatest source of temptation is our flesh. Our flesh likes to sin. It's that simple. I think we get the idea sometimes that, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to sin anymore. My my flesh is not like it used to be. And that's just not true. Flesh is always flesh, and it always thinks. Paul and I watched these... um, uh, veterinary shows on, on uh, TV and when they're like removing an abscess or something like that you can see when when, when the, the, the infection starts to come out all the people get like really grossed out because of the smell and they go oh that's a horrible smell and they all laugh at each other it's part of the show but but you see our flesh smells like that and the spirit of God is the only way to cover that smell up and so Uh, my flesh is tempting me all the time. Rudy, your flesh will tempt you all the time. I think that's the greatest source of temptation that we have. We like to sin, and we don't like people telling us we can't. And so I think that is our biggest enemy of all. But make no mistake, Satan and his demons know all the right buttons to push, and certainly they will tempt you as well. Sandra says, what is an evangelical? You've been online, haven't you, Sandra? Um, evangelical describes a facet of Christianity uh, that is uh, probably the majority expression of Christianity in the, in the time and country that we live in. Uh, it is those of us who believe that the Bible is God's word, um, that... Um, We need to be about the business of winning people to Jesus Christ. And um, we actually live out our faith. Uh, We are more focused on the word than we are traditions or rituals or rites. Um, uh, An evangelical describes um, a a contemporary Christian in the world and especially in our country. Now, here's one of the problems, Sandra. We have... Given the world a whole lot of ammunition to describe evangelicals as also being politically involved and almost certainly Republicans. And that's not true. The the actual term has nothing to do with a political position. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, when we hear the media say, well, the white evangelical vote goes to, uh, they're they're characterizing, uh, and unfairly so, uh, an entire movement of Christianity. Um, evangelicals have been in our country, not not in the rest of the world, but in our country, have been the greatest expression, the most powerful expression, and most effective expression of Christianity um, in in uh, in our time. Um, not so in all the other places in the world, but certainly in ours. So, an evangelical is just somebody who is committed to the fundamentals of Orthodox Christianity. We believe the Bible is God's word. We believe that when uh, uh, we open the Bible, it's living and active, it will speak to us. Uh, we do not believe in traditions passed on by men when and if those traditions uh, conflict with or contradict the, the Bible. So we are an evangelical uh, in, in definition, but uh, again, we, we need to resist the connection to um, conservative politics. So, Sandra, I hope that answers your question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. At this rate, I'm going to go through all my questions, so we'd love your calls and questions. Jay says, Is there a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Jay, there's not. Uh, It's just two ways of saying the same thing. They're interchangeable. Uh, When we talk about the kingdom of God, it is exactly the same thing as talking about the kingdom of heaven. Now, one of the things I'd like to share here is that uh, we who are evangelicals, going into Sandra's question, um, we need to be focused on the real kingdom of heaven. Uh, we We think the kingdom of heaven is on earth and we can recreate it. we can't. So uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, should be our focus. We ought to be walking with Jesus, walking for Jesus, understanding that only He can solve the problems in this world. Remember, understanding the Bible says that in the last days, the very days that we're in, things are going to get really, really bad. Much, much, much worse than now. I mean, our world is going crazy. I don't know if you've been watching the news or reading it at all. Uh, I've gotten to the point in my life where I'm a headline person and I only go into the meat uh, of a story, if the headline intrigues me. Um, you know, we're, we're getting all of this conversation about uh, the, the climate change and and uh, the fires that are going on in California. Um, you know, the, the people in California ought to be thinking there's something wrong with this. Is God trying to get our attention? But no, it's climate change and it's going to get worse and we're past the point of no return. Um, if you are a believer in the kingdom of heaven, then you understand that's not true. Today in the news, I saw there is evidence of, uh, of and, and I'm, if I'm remembering the, the time frame correctly, um, I could be off, but but I think they found a 10,000-year-old grave um, that, that seems to produce evidence that, in the ancient world, the idea of masculinity wasn't as strong as we think it is, but, but the evidence in that grave suggests that the person who was in there was non-binary. Now, can you imagine? <laughs> Our world is going crazy, and we're cooperating with it because we, we we want the kingdom of heaven to be here on earth, and that's never going to happen. So, Jay, no difference at all when you're studying your Bible Uh, Theologically, it's just two ways of saying exactly the same thing. Bruce. Oh, I like this question, Bruce. He said, what is the best way for me to prepare for my calling as a pastor? Bruce, um, I am uh, an expert in this, so uh, I, I think I can help you. I think the first way to prepare... Is to to be so invested in God's word. I mean, really invested in God's word, um, devour it. You've got to be so in God's word. It's got to be the singular focus of your life. You got to know it. You got to be able to live it. You got to be able to explain it, and there's no shortcut. And I'm not talking about reading commentaries. There's nothing wrong with commentaries, but I'm I'm just talking about you and and the Bible. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to be sure that the Bible is alive in your heart and is changing the way you live and the decisions that you make. And you've got to love it because as a pastor, you're going to stand up and you're going to teach the Bible and people need to know that you absolutely love it. I used to pray, Lord, if people don't understand a word I say, May they walk away from my Bible studies knowing that I really love God's Word. And that's the most important thing. Step one is Bible, Bible, Bible. Step two, and this is a little more difficult, Bruce. Uh, You've got to love God's people. If I were you, I would park in First Corinthians 13. We're actually studying in 1 Corinthians 13 now on Sundays. And if I were you, I'd park in 1 Corinthians 13. I would want to know that my heart truly loves, in the, the, the Greek word agape, the, the love of God poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that, that the love of God compels us to love God's people. and Not just the easy ones to love, but the difficult ones. Uh, we got to love the people that have rejected God and represent everything that we're against as Christians we got to love them. we got to love them so much that we're willing to tell them the truth because we want them in heaven. That's you got to love. That means when, when um, in my study this Sunday, one of the things that we'll talk about is love keeps no record of wrongs. you got to be sure, Bruce, that there's no record of wrongs that you're holding against anyone in your life. You've got to be able to say that, that there's no one in your life that you hold anything against. That doesn't mean you like everybody, but you got to love everybody. And the way to do that is to say, Lord, you've poured out your love into my heart. Give me the faith to love people who are difficult to love with your heart. And if you will do that, then God will use you. If you won't do that, according to 1 Corinthians 13, verse, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how brilliant your presentation of the Word and your Bible studies might be. The only thing that matters is do you love people? If not, you're just making noise. So those are the two most important things. Three, and this is sort of the one thing that will help you enjoy the fruit of the first two, is you've got to be more interested in spending time with Jesus than anybody or anything else in this world. Bruce, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program, but no doubt you've heard me say, just be with Jesus. It's sort of the motto of our church here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And when you say you can just be with Jesus, you've got to practice that. As a pastor, you've got to understand that you are accountable to God to live what you're teaching others. That's why James says, not many of you should seek to be teachers because we stand a stricter judgment. So you got to be with Jesus you got to prioritize Him. you got to walk with the fruits of the Spirit, typically characterizing your life. So those are the things that are the most important. And I'll give you the f- a fourth one. And I think this is equally important. And that is that you've got to be a great and eager repenter. If you're in God's Word, if you're hanging out with Jesus, and if you love God's people, then you got to make sure that your heart is clean, and it means you got to you got to deal with sin. You got to deal with it quickly. You got to deal with it thoroughly, and you've got to deal with it in such a way that there's nothing in your life that is quenching the spirit of God. So those are the the, the things, Bruce. You know, it's not about practicing speaking. It's not about um, uh, having. More gifts than other people. It's just understanding you said you're called to be a pastor. It is, and I'm biased, but it's the greatest job in the world. It is the richest. It is painful at times. It is always heartbreaking. It's hard to explain that it's always a great joy, but it's always heartbreaking at the same time. But it is. It's always heartbreaking. You never escape the pain in other people's lives. And you got to be able to let Jesus carry those burdens for you. That's why being with him is so important. But I think those are the key things, Bruce, and God bless you. If you're privileged enough to be called to be a pastor, remember, this isn't about you at all. It is about everyone, anyone else other than you. You can't touch God's glory. You can't start thinking of yourself as more gifted or more important than you are. You are nothing more when you are Pastor Ruth than the head servant in your church. And that means you serve others without expecting to be served. You've got to be so selfless that you can't get discouraged or disappointed in people. You just have to say, Lord, I'm your servant. Jesus washed The feet of his disciples who would scatter when he was arrested. The first pair of dirty feet he washed would have been Judas's, the way they were seated around that that table. And Jesus washed his betrayer's feet. And he did it, he said, as an example. So we got to be servants. If you're doing this to get attention, if you're doing it because you want people to listen to you, you don't understand anything about what being a pastor is. And every single one of us, Bruce, has at one time or another struggled with all those things I'm telling you. You know, we work hard. We love people. We pray for people. And when people turn on us, we get angry. And that just demonstrates that, that our heart's not right with God. If I'm truly a servant, how can I get angry? I have no right. And i got to remember that the people that Jesus died for, they're the object, not the enemy of the ministry. So, Bruce, um, um, that's a lot, but I, I think uh, that's the best place to start. Again, this is something you don't want to miss. 3409585, we'd love your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question should Christians take the COVID vaccine I'm getting a lot of pressure to do so Um, anonymous um, um, there's no biblical biblical position on this Um, and I'm not going to tell you what you should or should not do what I am going to say is this Um, um, your medical care is between you and Jesus and your doctor Um, I don't think there's one answer for um, every Christian. Uh, I think there are some people who um, should get the vaccine. That's what they're convicted in their hearts to do, and they feel it's the safest way, and it gives them sort of a relief uh, from from the potential of getting sick, and, and they're able to better serve God. Um, I I know a lot of people who came back to church after they got the vaccines and it was good for them to do that. But I also know Christians who are 100% convinced that they shouldn't take the vaccine. And so, anything not of faith is sin, do what God leads you to do and don't let anyone else whether it's a public information that we're getting from the, the, the World Health Organization, the CDC, um, from the White House, uh, from your um, uh, governors or, or, or state representatives. The um, Bible says if we ask God for wisdom, he gives it generously. So take it if you feel you want to take it don't feel like it's a lack of faith there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking the vaccine but I also think that we have to respect the rights of others who are not vaccinated or who don't intend to be vaccinated and we have to give them the freedom to do that you know it's interesting to me that the the you talked about you're getting a lot of pressure to be vaccinated um You know, when we kill 65 million babies, the motto is, my body, my choice. Suddenly, the same government that supports my body, my choice, is taking away that choice from those of us who choose not to be vaccinated. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain that inconsistency? The vaccines are going to be FDA approved soon. And I think the pressure to be vaccinated will go up exponentially at that point. I think there are going to be some of us who run the risk of losing jobs if we don't get the vaccination. And I don't think we should be moved by any of those things. I think take it if the Lord leads. Don't take it if he doesn't. It's that simple. And it's nobody's business but ours. Can I say one other thing, Anonymous? Um, You know, we wouldn't walk up to somebody and ask them very personal questions without being invited to do so. And yet, in this matter of vaccination, it's like there's the pro-vaxxers, those who don't want to be vaccinated. And I think in, in that case... Uh, we we've just got to be content with being okay with the choice that we make for ourselves. So there's no one thing Christians should or should not do. Taking uh, the vaccination is not taking the mark of the beast. Uh, I don't believe that 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 there's something in that vaccine is vaccination that that is trying to control you or is going to take over your body, as some conspiracy theorist suggests. I just think it's a matter of what do you think God is leading you to do? He's given us the freedom of choice. We need to exercise that freedom to choose, and we need to be okay with the choice we make. And We have no right to criticize somebody who is vaccinated, nor do we have any right to criticize somebody who is not Vaccinated. That's very, very important. We need to function according to the royal law of love, and we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. Uh, there's just no Bible verse, no clear direction that talks about these vaccines. Hey, I hope you got to listen to Yoli Vega's Sweet Summer Devotion uh, last night at calvaryessay.com. Uh, she did a wonderful job poured out her heart and it truly was a blessing um i don't think you only listen to the program but in the event that you might you only thank you for sharing your heart hey we've got 30 minutes left in the tuesday show Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven kslr we'd love your calls we'll be back in two minutes
0: To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 87-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. Here is a question anonymously. It said, How can I control my thought life? I have terrible thoughts all the time. Um, you know, thoughts are really not something that we can control in the sense that we can prevent them from coming. Now, we can take those thoughts captive. That's what Paul says it were to do. And, and, and the point of taking them captive is to make them obedient to Christ. So the enemy, our imagination, our subconscious, uh, other people can 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 be the source of these thoughts. But we've got to take those thoughts captive immediately and make them obedient to Christ. Uh, if 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 you get a lustful thought uh, the way the way i would do that is i would say jesus that the the person i'm having those lustful thoughts toward somebody you love and i don't want to think of them like this i choose to think of them the way you do and and see that's the way we fight we don't fight by just trying to block it out we just jesus you have to do this for me terrible thoughts about people you know, you, you, you have horrible thoughts about people, and I think we all do. You know, we see things or we read things and we think, how could they be like that? we, we got to remember that those people are the objects of Jesus' love. And the only way that we can rightly represent Him is to replace our thoughts with Jesus' thoughts. And that takes active faith. It takes being engaged with the Holy Spirit continually. But don't be don't be surprised. This, there's there's nothing sinful inherently sinful about having uh, evil thoughts. Just remember to deal with them when they come. Don't let them sit. Don't mentally or emotionally chew on them for a while. Get rid of them. Exercise them instantly, and replace them with thoughts about Jesus. Uh, one of the reasons God gave us His Word anonymous, is so that we had an alternative. Uh, We can go into the Word and replace our ugly thoughts with with beautiful thoughts. So that's something I think that we really have to learn to do. Uh, It is the only way I know of that we're going to be able to effectively combat thoughts. We can't stop them. The enemy brings them. The world brings them. Our subconscious brings them. But what we can do is make those thoughts obedient to christ and he gets the victory here's a question from brian he says first thessalonians 5 says we should pray without ceasing practically how do we do that um brian um i think sometimes we have the wrong idea about what paul is saying um paul was a guy that 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 had a lot of time you know uh i'm i'm leaving town uh this weekend uh, I'm going to get on an airplane in two, three hours. I'll be where I'm going to be. Um, um, Paul didn't have that luxury. Paul walked. Paul rode horses. Paul traveled in caravans. Um, he traveled with other people. Uh, and it took a lot of time. And I think if you, you, you really read Paul's letters, and especially when he's praying for people, I always thank God when I'm at every mention of you in all of my prayers. Uh, He says that in Philippians. Um, uh, Paul used his downtime, his traveling time, just to to talk to Jesus. And we've got an idea that prayer is getting on our knees and really grinding out these effectual, fervent prayers so we can prove that we're righteous people. And prayer is really just talking to the Lord. Um, you, You ever notice, Brian, how when you listen to people pray out loud, they almost never pray the same way, with the same tone, and using the same vocabulary that, they, that they, they use when they just talk to people. And I think when we really begin to understand prayer and the value of prayer, it's because we're just talking to Jesus. We're just pouring out our heart to him. We're we're opening our hearts so that we can listen to him. It's one of the reasons that I I like to to pray and walk. Um, You know, I'll go out and do my exercises and my running and stuff, and and I'll pray. But but those are pretty routine prayers. When I really want to hear from the Lord and when I really want to pour my heart, I wait until, okay, I'm going to take some time now just to walk with you, Jesus. I want to slow everything down. I want to try to control my mind and its fluctuations. But I'm just going to talk to you. And and I can literally say, Brian, that I am praying all day, every day. Uh, again, it's just conversation. And we've been taught, and I don't know how this happened, but we've been taught that unless we will go in a room, close the door, get on our knees and grind prayer... Uh, we're not praying effectively, and that's just not true. Effective prayer is not loud prayer. Effective prayer isn't even necessarily emotional prayer. Now, there's times when prayer becomes very emotional, but it need not be. Uh, to pray without ceasing simply means to have that avenue of communication open all day, every day, so the Lord can arrest your attention and so when you see things that break your heart, you can run to the Lord. When you've got questions, things coming up, if you fear yourself getting a little agitated, um, then, then, okay, Lord, I don't want to go there. Let me just talk to you and ask you to help me. I, I don't want to misrepresent you. I, I'm struggling with something, Brian, right now um, where um, I, I get angry uh, about something. and For me, it, it deals with churches and aren't telling the truth, aren't teaching the people. And as a pastor, I deal with so much of that pain. And I'll have people that'll come in and say, well, I've been going to this church for a long time and, and they know nothing about Jesus and and the sin in their life. They haven't even been told that's wrong. And, and that so frustrates me. And I had a, a an awkward time uh, this morning when I'm saying, okay, Lord, um, I need to be sure that my anger is righteous anger. I don't want to sin in my anger. So I need you to help me. But see, that's the kind of prayer. Lord, I don't want my flesh to win today. I want to be available to you. I'm, I'm hoping for divine appointments, Lord. You put people in my path. Those are the kind of prayers that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's verse 17. So, Brian, just talk to Jesus. And when I say just be with Jesus, if you're talking to him, you can't help but to be with him because you're aware in the most practical way that that you're in his presence. So that's the way we do it. We simply talk to him all day, every day at work. You can be having a terrible day at work and Jesus is right there and he'll make it better. Just talk to him knows anyway so share the things that you're frustrated about and when you talk to him about those things be willing to have him change your mind and heart about those things so i think uh, brian that's that's the intent that the apostle paul had three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions here is another anonymous question about covid why is god allowing covid to come back even stronger um, anonymous be careful of the information that you're reading i don't think it's coming back stronger i just think we've had a bunch of people in in quarantine for a very long time their immune systems haven't been working they haven't been fighting we've been walking around with masks and and i've said this before and i'm certainly not a scientist or a doctor but this is a virus that virtually everybody is going to get, period. And if you've been hiding from it, when you come out, you are going to get it. And I think this is just one of those times when people are going to be exposed. But, but the question is to why God is allowing this, God can't be blamed for this. There's a lot of things. People get cancer. We've got people in our church who are so sick. We've got uh, fires raging out of control. Um, what, do you expect God to blow them out? Do you expect God just not to let people get sick? We live in a fallen world and a world in which people die. So this isn't something that you blame God for. Okay? Okay, let's take our phone. We've got a couple of calls now. Let's go to Ray. Ray, I...
0: when you were starting off talking about... Uh being a pastor and all, I don't know why, but I wondered how was our friend Gail Irwin doing and his wife, Mm. and uh, I hadn't heard anything for quite a while, and then as you were uh, getting finished with the first session of the show, you said, you were getting on a plane and going to be where you were going in three hours or so, and I wondered... Where are you going, Timbuktu? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just see if you had any, any news.
2: Thanks, Ray. God bless you. Okay, I appreciate thanks. you asking about. Appreciate you asking about Gail and Ada. Gail is doing fine. Um, you know, they're getting up there in in years now, and Ada has some pretty serious pain issues. Uh, She's been in some serious accidents, but but really, they're getting along really really well. I've talked to Gail probably a month ago, and and they're doing well. And um, uh, we expect to have them back out again before Jesus comes or takes them home. Um, um, The other question Ray asked Where are you going? Oh, where am I going? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to Durango, Mexico. Uh, I'm going, uh, we we planned a church in Durango, and uh, Pastor Jay Bentley is uh, starting a school there, and he's asked me to come and dedicate the school and preach the message on Sunday. To him So I am going to do that, and I am honored to do it. So that's where I'm going. We've got Greg back online, too. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here, making me on in case I have a follow-up question or just want to get some of them okay. to make sure I understand right. Um, when, for those, are born, those of us that are born again, when we pass, uh, we don't receive our rewards until after... I guess technically Judgment Day, which we're really not going to be judged, but that's when we will be given the rewards for our life. Is that how you understand it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Greg, I, I don't think that's right. I, I think we're going to receive our rewards at, the, at the, the wedding banquet that we're the guests of honor. I think the rapture of the church is going to usher us right in the presence of the Lord, and we're going to stand at the Bema seat, the reward seat, Of Christ at that point. So we will receive our rewards prior to the great tribulation and prior to the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. And, and of course, uh, the judgment uh, for eternal condemnation, uh, the great white throne judgment. So we'll get our rewards prior to that. And I think that's the focus. It's sort of like this big awards banquet you go in, and and they've got all these awards out, and we can't wait to see who got what. Well, at the wedding banquet of the of the the Lamb, uh, that's when we're going to receive our rewards. Does that make sense to you, Greg?
1: Uh, yeah. So, you know, for someone who has already passed away, or just passed away tomorrow before the the Rapture and before the wedding supper of the Lamb, what are we going to be doing? What do you see that we're going to be doing and hanging out in between then before we get our rewards?
2: Okay, Greg, I'm going to to make this as uncomplicated as I can, um, and and I will admit that I have a, a view that some consider a little bit strange, and I'll try to explain it. We know for sure, this isn't controversy at all, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, Paul writes that in his second letter to the Corinthians. We know that's the case. Uh, Paul said it's better uh, to to depart and be with Jesus by far than to remain here doing so. To, so it wouldn't be better if we weren't with Jesus. So we know we're instantly when 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 we take our last breath in these old bodies, we're going to be escorted directly into the presence of the Lord by an angel, and and we're going to receive our rewards at that particular moment. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, people who have died already are with Jesus already. And remember, we've got a seven-year great tribulation, but when we go to be with Jesus, we're, we're literally outside of time and space. And so if somebody has died uh, in Christ, they're with Jesus even now. So they're not in some holding pattern, or they're not they're not in a in an altered state of consciousness. They're certainly not in purgatory or or in soul sleep. They're in the presence of beauty. They're in the presence of Jesus, and and um, um, Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16 gives us a picture of that uh, when. Uh, Lazarus and the rich man both die, and they go to different compartments of paradise. The only difference is that now because Jesus has emptied paradise of those who belong to him and taken them captive in his train into heaven, uh, the only difference is that we instantly go into the presence of the Lord. People who die apart from Christ uh, are instantly in eternal torment. Not, not the final place, the great white throne, the second death, but they're in that, that place in the center of the earth, in the abyss, uh, where the the uh, the rich man was cast. That's a story, not a parable, and it and it demonstrates that where we're going to be. Uh, I said my the, the view I have, um, and and because Jesus told me, I'm the, I tell him I am sent you. Jesus is always in the presence. God is always in the present. And I believe, um, you know, when you get to be my age, you 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 really think about these things again. I can't prove this scripturally, but this just makes sense to me. Um, I think when if if uh, I die before Paula does, as an example, when I go into the presence of the Lord, Paula's already going to be there because we step outside of time and space. We're in eternity, and uh, I don't think God has any problem delineating. Uh, between the two. So Greg, that's, that's, uh, th- those are my views. Uh, the only controversial thing there is the last part that I said. Does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I was understanding. I just want to make sure that maybe you have some other take on it or some other view on it. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it though. That's uh that's good stuff. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, me too, Greg. Thank you very much. Right, appreciate appreciate it. Uh-huh, God bless. for your live calls and questions. William says, Pastor Ron, how can we grieve the Holy Spirit as Paul speaks about? Well, William, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by not being holy. That's one way, certainly. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by being disobedient when God is telling us to do something and we are not being obedient. That's grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. I like the word grieve because we, we understand that we've broken the heart of God. And when we um, trample on his grace, for instance, uh, I've heard people say to me, well, you know, if, if God covers all my sins with grace, then then it, it doesn't really matter if I sin. That grieves God. When we misrepresent God in our, uh, our behavior, it grieves God. I, I spoke about love at length this past Sunday, William, and I think when we Christians go home, we learn about Jesus in church, we, we talk about love, I think we go home and we don't demonstrate love, we don't demonstrate kindness. I think that grieves the heart of God. I think when we are inconsistent or worse, even hypocritical, um, there's a, a, a big gap between what we say and who we say we are and what we do. Uh, and, and and those things all grieve the heart of God. I, I told the church on Sunday, imagine how the heart of God is grieved when a man uh, has been given uh, the responsibility of the Lord to represent him to his wife. And that man is 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 unkind. That man is mean. Or that man yells or, or says ugly things or uses ugly language. Um, believe me, there's a lot of Christian marriages. We say we love somebody and we treat him completely different. That really grieves the heart of God, William. So I think what we need to do is understand that consistent obedience is the way to avoid not grieving or avoid grieving the Holy Spirit and avoid quenching the Spirit and we stay connected to the source of power. So that's how we grieve the Holy Spirit. One other thought on on grieving the Holy Spirit, you know you can't grieve a force or an it, and that's one of the reasons that we know the Holy Spirit is a person, a he. And um, um, we just do things that I think break the heart of God. And when we do that, it, it, it grieves the Holy Spirit for sure. We've got a couple more minutes left. Um, Dale says, um, what do you think about taking children to adult services? Dale, thank you so much for asking this question. I think it's horrible. I really do. Now, I, I've got, we've got the rule here. Uh, Anybody that can sit and pay attention and learn is welcome in the adult service. But that does not describe most kids. And adults who drag their children into adult services are teaching their children that church is a boring place, a terrible place to be. And, um, um, you know, when they're sitting in a church and the, the mom or the dad is saying, be quiet, be quiet, don't do this, don't do that. Kids want to get up and run and move. That's why we have gifted people in churches who teach kids at their own level. And Dale, in our church, and, and uh, I can only speak authoritatively for our church, um, when, when our kids go through um, our children's church classes, They're being taught verse by verse. Now, not the same way I do it, but they do it at their level, but these kids are being taught, and our kids know the Bible. You know, I wish I could say, boy, we raise them up and we teach them everything and they never backslide or do anything, but that's not true. Our kids, like everybody else's kids, they backslide, but I can say this. The kids that were raised in this church and backslider without excuse because they know better. They know who Jesus is. They know what they're supposed to do in response. And then they have to make a choice. And when they make the bad choices, there are going to be very adult consequences. When they make the right choices, there's going to be abundant blessing. But it's because they've been taught. And church becomes, I was one of those kids. Now, I, I, I was only in church a very few times growing up. And it was only when my grandma took me. My mom and dad never went to church. There was never any pressure to go. Uh, My grandma took me. And I had to sit in this dark, musty room with this clip-on tie, feeling very uncomfortable, listening to this very old man. Now, he's probably 20 years younger than I am now, but but listening to this very old man. Um bore me to tears. how much longer, grandma? How much longer and church was the last place on earth I wanted to go, and we need to raise kids to know that church is fun. If you were to come here, Dale and and as soon as church is over, and the parents go get the kids and there's a lot of talking and fellowship going on. The kids are having a blast running through the sanctuary and running through the halls, not unsafely, but but they're playing, they're having fun. It sounds like a playground at times. That's the way church needs to be presented to kids. I've had parents come in and say to their kids, don't run, be quiet, Shh, shh, this is God's house. And I always tell them, no, this isn't God's house in that sense. Jesus said, suffer not the little children to come unto me. Let them be kids. We don't care. And the parents, you can see the relief. On the other hand, when parents drag kids in and they're distracting, making noise, crying, when they do that, we have to have ushers come up and say, please take your child out because our job, our business is the word of God. So it's very, very important Dale, to make those choices. And we've got really good people. Most churches have really good committed people in children's ministry to make church challenging and fun and exciting for your kids. So I hope that makes sense to you, Dale. Um, Children ought to be in children's church. Hey, thank you for tuning in. This has been the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. Um, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM of The Word. God willing, I'll be back. We'd love your calls. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.